As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. show and our latest fresh batch of listener questions today we're finding out more about new Tottenham coach Ange Postacoglu we're asking whether the Nations League is a thing we should care about and we're heading into the TSS prank time machine yes that is a thing Woo. my name's Ryan Bailey joining me today a man who's apparently spent most of his waking hours this week catching up with the TV show Succession Taylor Waystar Rockwell hello Hello, I'll take that as a middle name. It's better than uh, Logan. Is that Kendall, Kendall Logan Roy is named after his father? Either way, yes, I've been enjoying Succession because we're bringing back an old tradition. We're doing a Succession, succession 11 this week. I am not caught up. Uh, I don't know if I'll be caught up by the time we record. It's going to be a race against the clock. Uh, we'll see how delirious and inclined I am to yell uh, obscenities when we record. It will be the strongest challenge we've ever had not to swear on this uh, podcast, I believe, Taylor. I, I, think, I think we're going to lose that battle. I think there's going to be a lot of bleeps in that episode. I'm <laughs> T- just Taylor's just going to absorb the personality of one of the, one of the characters. Who, who are you going to be, Taylor, tomorrow? Are you going to be Kendall? Just talk like, yeah, okay, yeah, right. Okay. So, and, and very clearly enunciate every letter. Uh, yeah, that's his style. No, I think I think th- there is no one to really want to be. No one is aspirational in that show. I think I go. I default to my usual answer of Stewie. Stewie is the person I want to be from Succession. He seems to be the one that everybody likes, always has ideas, always has answers, and always keeps it moving and does not humiliate himself publicly over and over again. He looks good in the role, Nick. Yet. I'll give him that. There's that yeah. too. There's that yeah. too. Uh, Colin is aspirational, by the way, Taylor, just so you know. The bodyguard. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't know uh, what you're aspiring to, Ryan, but it has felony <laughs> attached. All right. Anyway. <laughs> More on that on tomorrow's episode, on Thursday's episode, I should say. But joining us today, a man who is aboard the CONCACAF Champions Cup hype train. Sound the rebound, Klaxon Joe Lowry. The CCC is here, folks. It's, uh, it's just what everyone thought was needed to fix the CONCACAF Champions League is to change it to a different acronym. Honestly, though, it does make more sense than calling it the Champions League, like we just did the Cups versus Leagues discussion last week, and CONCACAF, I guess, heard that and didn't want to take any chances, and now it is the CONCACAF Champions Cup. The rebrand is is whatever. There is one bit that actually got me a little excited from that announcement. It's that the prize money for the winner is going from 500 k to $5 million, which to a team like Manchester City is nothing, but to basically any team in this region is not nothing, so... That was kind of buried beneath the color change and the name change and all the the fun acronym stuff, but that actually kind of has me stoked. The prize was five hundred thousand dollars. I believe that is what John Arnold, John Arnold, excuse me, wrote in his newsletter, which folks should go and read. Getting concacaft. Wow, we make fun of the League Cup for being like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's uh, that's a, that's shocking, but I am glad they're increasing it. That's good news. 
Yep. Um, you've just made me realize that the acronym is CCC, Joe. If they have playoffs and it's the CCCP, that's very Soviet. They've gone with this direction. <laughs> I'm quite concerned. Uh, <laughs> joining us on this list of questions episode, a man who's getting very, very, very excited about the Messi to Miami rumors, Graham Ruffin wearing his Inter Miami shirt as we record. <laughs> Graham, first off, is it true that MLS are slashing the weeby no uh, sock budget to get this one done? Is that is that? True. They're they're pulling all sorts of levers, including that one. Uh, I think he's getting a chunk of the the Apple uh, Apple TV money. I think he's getting some of Don Don Garber's brunch budget. So no more brunches in Portland for me. Yeah, I think MLS are just uh, putting everything they've got into the messy pot. I am, as you know, Ryan. I'm a, I'm, I'm a lifelong Inter Miami fan. Always have been. You may have read an article by me in the Guardian yesterday, absolutely trashing them. And um, but you mm. actually just imagined that 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 never happened at all. Go Miami. <laughs> Oh, good, good. That's good to hear. And I love the fact that, Graham, you are still literally dining off your brunch with uh, Garber uh, story. <laughs> That's where I fed the idea there. to him. Have you ever thought about, <laughs> listen to this, signing the best player of all time? There you go. You can have that one on me. That's where it there came from. Go. All right, um, Joe, we know you're on the CCCP Soviet hype train, but how about the Messi hype train? As we record, it looks like a deal is going to get done to bring Lionel Messi to MLS. Uh, he still could go uh, a few other directions at this point. As we record, that might be different by the time this uh, show is published, but yeah. exciting times. It, it really is. Like, I, I kind of can't believe that it seems like this is happening. I tried to add a, a qualifier on there just to protect myself in case. It was Taylor Goss and I on the Tuesday show, and I basically just straight up said, I, th I still think Messi not coming to Miami is the most likely outcome. And maybe hours after we'd finished, maybe not even hours the report started to come in and The Athletic published a good piece on sort of what MLS is, is trying to do and what levers they're trying to pull Barcelona style to make this happen with some of the things that Graham mentioned. It, it's feeling more and more real basically every passing minute. I've been awake for about an hour and 45 minutes now, and I feel like a lot's happened in an hour and 45 minutes. So it, it's all crazy. I think this would be one of the most fun things that's ever happened to soccer in this country. And I, as I have been all along, would absolutely love for this yeah. thing to become a real thing. It's just accelerated so quickly. So I, I saw that athletic report last night. That report's by Paul, right? Paul. It was it was Paul Tenorio, Felipe Cardenas, and Pablo Maurer. Right. It's a very good read. I would recommend reading it. But even reading that report, and there's a lot of solid reporting in there, I was still of the opinion that the play from Jorge Messi, who is who is Messi's father who's doing the, the kind of negotiations for Messi, was to essentially have three agreed contracts on the table for Messi to choose to choose from. That was what I thought. So so the way that that athletic piece was reported was MLS are solidifying details for an ML, for a transfer for Messi. And that, to me, read differently to they're close to signing him. But today, yeah. the story seems to have shifted entirely. And you've got Guillaume Balaguer saying that Messi has chosen Inter Miami. So maybe maybe that has happened. Maybe Jorge Messi has had the kind of three offers on the table now. And he's agreed with three different parties. And Messi has picked the one he likes, which is Inter Miami. He has a place in Miami. Maybe not so su surprising. Lots of space for that giant dog of his to, to roam around. So I um, if it comes to pass, I'm excited to see him in, uh, in MLS. I think I'm... I'm surprised at how excited I, I am, and I think the explanation for that is I was resigned to for to, I was resigned to him going to Saudi Arabia. That's what I thought was was going to happen. So the fact that it looks like that's not going to happen is pleasing yeah. to and me. It, and it's crazy. In I believe also this morning it was announced that N'Golo Kante is going to Saudi Arabia for a hundred million dollars a season. Like it, it just felt like between Benzema, who we talked about recently, and Kante and, and Ronaldo, kind of starting that train in a high profile way. It kind of felt like these offers just weren't being turned down. Like if Saudi Arabia w wanted you and wanted to spend nine figures on you, you were probably going to go. But but maybe that's no longer true. Graham, I think you're right. It's almost this disbelief that someone would turn that down, given the amount of money involved. And given that Saudi Arabia and Messi do have some genuine ties together. I, I, I still kind of can't believe that it feels like this is going to become something real and tangible. It's going to be a bigger circus than I think any of us can possibly imagine like a bigger circus than Zlatan, a bigger circus than Henri or Beckham or anything. Like this is going to be something that we've never seen before ever. Like a player of Messi's caliber in major league soccer, which is a league that is so ridiculous and absurd. So much of the time, Miami are so bad and Graham, you are right to write that they were bad <laughs> because they are horrendous. And we talked about that on yesterday's show. Like I, it's just all so stupid and I, it's beautiful and I hope it happens. 
that speaking of the circus, Joe, I actually looked because uh, Charlotte FC's final home game, final game of the regular season is hosting into Miami. So I had a look at tickets, which and are already... not playing on turf, bro. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the tickets were already around double the price of other no single way. match tickets. That's that to I pay for out. the real grass they're going to put down for that game. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that was that's thinking, good use of those money. That's a good thing. It, because probably teams like Charlotte will put down real grass for to get Messi into wow. town, I'm assuming. Right. Right. Yeah. They did it for they, ch- yeah. They did it for like champion uh, whatever that was called, ICC, right? Or yeah. something. No, they like did that. it. Yeah. Chelsea played a friendly last year. Wow. They did it just for that as well. That's so. like that's like a, a ramification I never even thought about. And there's going to be maybe hundreds as high, but there's going to be dozens and dozens of those things that happen and, and they happen just because Messi is here because he will draw so many crowds. The one that I I thought of is do we really think they're going to play in Derv Pink Stadium, like in Miami. I know it's not said like that, but I'm just going to say it like that because it's funny and they didn't put any vowels in the name Daft and they Punk deserve Stadium, it. I think it's um, in, it. in Daft Punk Stadium, <laughs> thank you. It's 18,000 seats. Like, there's no way. Like, they're going to have to move everything over to Hard Rock Cafe Stadium, which will make Ryan Bailey very, very happy. Like, there, there are going to be yes. so many logistical changes that they have to do to accommodate <gasps> the Messi this. Burger. Everything the is aligning. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to jump in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect conclusion. I have nothing else to say. Wow. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, I didn't even think about the home games. And uh, Graham noting that Messi has property in Miami, which is, for what it's worth, nowhere near where Inter Miami play uh, at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) That should be interesting. Taylor, any final thoughts on Messi before we move on to our LQs? Yeah, what do we think is on the Messi burger? Because I'm assuming it reflects like Argentine flavors. uh, uh, why don't you look at patreon.com slash total soccer show for the video of me eating one, Taylor? Why don't you do that? Oh, I forgot that already exists. I'm now sad. I'm now sad. <laughs> I don't like this at all. I don't like this at all. There's going to be so many of these branded sponsorships, but that's, you know, the reason why I think they're able to make this deal happen. Pay the piper. It's, it's definitely going to help attendance. It's definitely going to help uh, get more eyes on the league. I'm expecting a lot of people who, uh, in, in my life, who don't really care about soccer, but know that I do, messaging me this afternoon to be like, messy, question mark? Uh, so... Once those start coming in, you know that the big signing has happened. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, one, can I do one one more bit? And I know we have like a bunch of questions. Is it about the messy burger? Because it, I'm all, it's I'm all, all about the messy burger. Yeah. Medium rare, baby, Good. all day long. Then I'll um, allow it. Um, yes, just insert messy burger topic here. I, I wanted to say this is all great and exciting for MLS, and I'm stoked about this. Like I have a, a real chance to see Lionel Messi play in person. Selfishly, I think that's cool, and I probably wouldn't have gotten that chance if he was going anywhere else. So I'm thankful for that as someone who's in this space and someone who likes soccer. If MLS doesn't actually capitalize on this, and and by that I mean not just enjoying the time that he's here, but making meaningful change to make the time when he's no longer here into something more than it was before he got here, this will have been a massive waste. Like, like that's MLS's focus. As soon as they get this deal over the line, and this deal should have been their biggest focus for the last however long now. Like, once that's done, and if it gets done and Messi is an Inter-Miami player, the focus then turns to how do we make this into something that is at least... 5% 5% sustainable. Like, how do we retain some of these people? If that doesn't happen, then this was all kind of a big, flashy waste of everybody's time. All right. More on this story on the feed as we get news on it. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to get to our listener questions. Before we do, one more time, patreon.com slash Show to check out our bonus content, including the Messi Burger, as tested in uh, Messi's former home of Paris by yours truly. Uh, Also answered a listener question from Jen Ahern. Listener Jen Ahern's question I answered uh, on the Patreon this week. And Graham trolled me with his lovely Tier 1 Starbucks that's opened within walking distance of his home, which is basically, uh, you know, if if I'm looking for a new home, I want walking distance Starbucks. And you're a very lucky man, Graham. I don't I don't even care that much about it. <laughs> that's that's, that's uh, the, the hurtful thing for you. <laughs> All right, Taylor, Joe, let's carry on with the <laughs> listener question show. We're just three of us. Uh, Kevin Tolley has been in touch. It's the start of silly season, says Kevin. I was wondering, how do you tell a real rumor from a stupid one? On the podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, there was a special guest who plays Jamie Tart in Ted Lasso. Uh, Phil Dunster, that will be. Uh, And there was a section on soccer. They referenced a transfer rumour from a 99 article in The Times that reported Liverpool were about to buy a footballer called Didier Baptiste. I haven't heard that name in a while. Apparently, this was completely bogus and made up, but made it into a respectable paper such as The Times. Taylor, Mm -hmm. if The Times cannot fact check... How are we supposed to gosh darn do it? Yeah. Uh, another example of that before I give my answer. Uh, one of my favorite ones is when Reddit created, they decided they were going to create a transfer rumor to see 
if it gets picked up. Uh, the one they landed on was when Zlatan moved to PSG. The rumor they created was that he was then going to be loaned to Monaco because the rule had to be. It was so ridiculous that there's no chance it was being reported elsewhere. It had ever existed before. And sure enough, it got a bunch of traction and got reported around the world as PSG in a way to like uh, alleviate some of the financial penalty. We're going to loan him to Monaco. So when people want to believe a story, when they want to believe a thing is happening or not happening or a team is going to do something stupid, I think there's always going to be rumor telling it to be true is very tricky. Graham and I did a Soccer 101 about this last week that has not yet been published because I got sick and it did not get published, but it will be today. And uh, that one is all about sort of transfer rumor speculation, where it comes from, uh, that it's increased, is it as, as big as it's ever been, but then ways to sort of spot truth or spot inconsistency in the story. The two that I would say with, uh, one, I am straight up stealing from Graham, so sorry Graham, I'm saying it before you can, uh, is th that does it have a reputable author attached? Is it one individual person reporting the story or is it uh, staff? Is it uh, the Times staff or the athletic staff? Then that can be a little bit more nebulous, whereas if it's one person who has a connection to the club or the player, whatever it may be, I think right there, you know. And then when you read the article itself, is it a person reporting something that they have heard, something that they have been told, something they've been briefed on, or is it a person writing about a story they read with a link to that story, and when you click that link, that link sends you to a different link, and then a different link, and then it ends up on a random gossip site. That's where you know, okay, so we're just kind of following rumors and not having it based in anything reality. Okay, so Graham, what if it's, uh, say, an Italian who says, here we go, and he puts a Photoshop picture of a player in a shirt on his Twitter feed? Oh, you're, you're referring to Romano, right? For Bezio Romano. I think he's no, pretty just, solid. No, 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 just a random example. <laughs> we named names in our Soccer 101 episode. We went through <laughs> yeah, we did. Who are the, the good and the, and, and, and the bad. Uh, we didn't name the bad ones, but we did a, a, there were a some one illusions two made. Tiers. There were some illusions made. Yeah. Um, Romano's tier one. I, I think he's pretty well connected. Um, interestingly enough, I, I, I did go through his Twitter feed today when all the messy stuff was coming out. He doesn't seem to actually have that story, which is, is notable in itself. Um... Here but we don't yeah. go. Say that again? Here we don't go, sorry. Here we on. don't go, yeah. Um, I agree with everything that Taylor, Taylor has said about the kind of signs you can look for in a, in a, in a, in a transfer story. I also think the, what, the sign that you can look for that tells you that maybe there's not that much weight to a story is according to reports, yeah. which essentially means we have read this on Twitter and we have now <laughs> written an article about this and this is to scrape SEO traffic from Google. That's my yeah. reading of that. And the reason that I kind of know that is because to my shame and my and earlier in my career, <laughs> I have written stuff like that where yep. begrudgingly I've had to do it to, you know, earn money and pay the bills and stuff like that. Thankfully, don't have to do that anymore. So I kind of have had a, an insight into how the sausage is made. It's, it's, it's pretty grisly at times, but there are some ways to decipher what is real and what maybe isn't so real. Yeah, definitely so. And listen to that Soccer 101 episode listener for more details on exactly that. I'll, I'll say, Graham, I also have seen how the sausage is made. In fact, you and I on Bleach Report back in the day used to talk transfer rumors quite a lot. So I've done that side of things and I've worked for a soccer team and also work in soccer PR. So you kind of get the sense that it all basically is a machine. It's a bit of a game. It's more managed by clubs and agents than you think. You know, the press get happy because they get content. Agents get their deal publicized. Clubs leak players, uh, their availability to stir interest. And us rubes, we just lap it all up. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> how it works. Yeah. Which is, which is, I think, one of the conclusions we came to is if you enjoy transfer rumors, if you enjoy the transfer window, which I think most of us do i don't know uh but but i do but i think also that's because i try not to put too much stock into reports and so i, I will have friends genuinely i promise i'm not talking about myself i used to do this but i have friends who get like so angry and be like what are they doing this is so dumb and it's like it's a rumor calm down like when it's when it's official when the player's holding up the jersey and even then sometimes not then uh but when they're on the pitch uh doing some keepy uppies that's when you know it's happened that's when you can uh get really frustrated but until then i think it's best to treat them all with a grain of salt but then i think i can imagine joe doing is sort of looking at the transfer rumor and thinking well how would this work would this player fit with the team do they fit the style they don't fit the style that doesn't make much sense so i think you can Look at the rumor and still pull away useful information without getting caught up in yeah. the like, is it happening? Is it not happening? What's going on? What's the latest? And, and sort of driving yourself crazy a little bit. 
and, and I will add to that, just because you see a rumor and it doesn't make sense doesn't mean that it won't happen either. Like, this true. is part of the game also because true. I do I do try to think about that stuff. Like, you know, does this move make sense? Oftentimes, people just do things that that aren't smart or they just do things that don't make sense and they do it because they think it's a good idea and it's it's uh-huh. really not. I think there are a lot of people that make bad decisions in and around the soccer world and I don't think there's a lot of evidence that we need to actually bring out yeah, the messy burger. for people to understand that's yeah. a real thing. It's my MO. My, uh, Doing things that aren't smart is what I do, Joe. Thank no, you that's, Yeah, this is fair. Uh, my, 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 my actual hack for this is just like find some reporters that you trust and follow them on Twitter. Like it, I, I'm a lot better at that stuff on, in American soccer moves and, and news than European stuff, just because that's that's the stuff that I overdose on more than anything else. But like f- learn those people. And if you don't know them, I'm happy to provide them for you. I've talked long enough. That's my that's my hack. I kind of want to do this as an experiment. Do you think TSS can create her own transfer rumor? Joe, you do it. I bet I'm not you doing tweeted, it. No way. <laughs> if you tweeted a random MLS player is going to random Premier League club, yeah. Crystal Palace, I reckon that is on a tabloid website within Can't 12 tell. hours. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right, which that. is which is the scary thing. And that's that's probably the best example out of all of this is like it's really easy to make this stuff up. And there are a lot of folks that talk with some people for sure. And those people probably don't know as much as they should or are just totally using them. And then they get hosed over and over and over again and never seem to learn because we all love the clicks. I, I feel like we could do this pretty convincingly, though. Now, now, now you've got the wheel spinning, Graham, because I'm thinking like Cade Cal was in. Pressed by Patrick Vieira's time in Major League Soccer as a manager, and though Vieira has left Crystal Palace, he remains convinced by the project uh, as as it continues on, and wants to learn from Wilfred Zaha and could like up his game along those lines. Like, there's something I think here. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of ways that you can make this yeah. rumor make sense. Yeah. I'll do it. Right. Musk already took my blue tech. I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> there you go. Integrity be darned. Graham's going to do it. Very good. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Mr. Ange Postacoglu and much more back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Mark Bajowski has been in touch. A question specifically for Graham, but I think we can all have a go at this one. Do you think Ange Postacoglu would be a good fit for Tottenham Hotspur? I remember, Graham, you were pretty high on him when he came to Celtic. Do you think he'll be successful in the Premier League? I'll say, Graham, that the response from the media and podcasts and whatnot that I've heard for Postacoglu coming to Spurs so far has been uniformly positive. Lots of people very excited about this move. From the people you should listen to, yes, I have heard some talk sporty stuff and YouTube channel stuff which has trotted out the the old kind of tired, ignorant lines about Ange Postacoglu. So let me qualify this first before I answer this question. Spurs are Spurs, right? They broke Antonio Conte. He is a broken man now. So, you know, there's no guarantees with Tottenham. But let's just say Daniel Levy gets out of Postacoglu's way. I think he's more than a, a good appointment for Spurs. In fact, I think he's an excellent appointment for Spurs. He won five trophies out of six at Celtic, and I know the argument there is that other managers have had similar success at Celtic. I've, I've seen people say, well, you know, Ronnie Dyla and Neil Lennon, they were never linked with big Premier League jobs when they were successful at Celtic. That's precisely the point. When you use an analytical eye to look at Postacoglu, you can see what it is that makes him different. His brand of football is fantastic to watch. And exactly the sort of thing that um, you know Spurs fans have, have, have been desperate for. Attack-minded, possession-based, very modern, very exciting football. It's not quite the same as Pochettino football, but 
there's an easier you can see a progression from post uh, from Pochettino, uh, excuse me, to Postacoglu. That's difficult to say. Um, much better than you can see, you know, Conte and Mourinho and Nuno and all those guys. There was no common thread between you know Pochettino and those guys. So I think he's exactly the sort of he's going to bring the type of football that Spurs fans want. You'll also yeah. hear stuff about he doesn't know English football and he's only worked in Scotland and Japan and Australia and that's the sort of thing I've heard on Talksport this week. This is a guy who's had to work his way up. So yes, you could just hire Frank Lampard, right? Because he knows English football. Or you could get someone who has a wealth of professional and life experience and has been exposed to different ideas and and cultures. He worked with uh, City Football Group in Japan as manager Yokohama. He's managed an, an international team in Australia. He's coached at a World Cup as well. So just because he doesn't have Premier League experience doesn't mean that he doesn't have experience at all. Spurs fans also, they want a manager who they'll like as a person, right? They, they didn't like Mourinho, they didn't like Nuno, well, they hardly got to know Nuno, and towards the end, they certainly didn't like Antonio Conte. They're going to love Big Ange. That's one thing I am really confident on. He will, he'll fight for them, he'll take no nonsense, he'll, he'll galvanise them as a, as a fan base, and nobody's really done that at Spurs since, uh, since Poch was there. Spurs don't have a sporting director at the moment, and for most managers that would be a bit of an issue. Um, but Post, um, excuse me, Postecoglou at Celtic—that's the structure he worked in there. And Celtic basically just told him to use all his knowledge to identify players, and then he went. Excuse me, the club went and got them. So I think that makes Postecoglou's departure for Celtic disastrous because he is basically their entire front office as well. But for Spurs in their current state, it's very good news that they now have someone like that. Um, he's adaptable as I said at Yokohama he, he kind of played under City Football Group so he added a whole load of new ideas into how he, how he plays that's where he started playing inverted fullbacks um, and, and it might take some time for some of his ideas to take root it did at Celtic he didn't start off that well I think he lost his first two games but once he got going there was absolutely no stopping him so yes there's no guarantee of success for any manager um, particularly at a big six club and also particularly at Spurs but I do think he has the potential to be the manager that Spurs have been looking for for, for a long time. I'm really high on the appointment. It, it seems to me that there's a non-zero chance that Postacoglu is Tottenham's Jurgen Klopp. Like, I, I think there is there are certain connections there, managers that have very clear ideas, managers that are, are coming from different leagues that have different backgrounds to sort of the classic English managers that get run through over and over and over again. Graham, you mentioned Frank Lampard there. I think that's a, a good one on the opposite side of the spectrum. You know, he, he knows exactly how he wants to play. He knows the kinds of players he wants. They play really fun soccer, and Graham, you, you detailed some of that stuff, like time in the City Football Group kind of gives people an idea of what this team will look like if they didn't catch any Celtic or, or didn't listen to Graham talk at all about that team throughout the last year or so. I, I really like this appointment. I think it is absolutely the, a risk worth taking for Tottenham. I think there's a lot that Spurs fans will like. The thing that I, I want to make sure we lay out, and, and this is the same thing that I said about Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United, Graham, you said it's going to take time and mentioned that, you know, he lost his first two games at Celtic. It, it's going to take years. Like, this is this is a process now. And the, the question for Tottenham is, are they going to be willing to wait? Are they going to be willing to suffer and to go through points where people are angry and irritated because Pastacoglu hasn't fixed everything? But it's going to take time, both for the coaching ideas to stick because they haven't been playing this way. Like, th these players... Haven't done yeah. a lot of this stuff. Some of them have, right? And they've been at different clubs that want the ball and all that jazz. But a lot of them haven't, right? You think about Benton Kerr in midfield. It's not really his thing, right? It's not really his his way of playing. So that's one side of this. The other side is it's not just the coaching part that's going to take time. Graham, you wisely mentioned the sporting director side and the signings. This roster is just straight up not built to play his way. It's not built to play in this really expansive 4-3-3 wide wingers, eights and a half spaces, left back, maybe tucked in a little bit inside, right back inside at times, overlapping at other times. Listeners, not... this is producer Taylor jumping in to say that Graham has been nodding the entire time Joe is talking. <laughs> yes. Just putting, pointing that out. Just pointing that out. That's I'm, I'm glad that's I'm glad that's the case. Um so like they're not built to do that. So it's not just gonna take time for these players to understand the ideas. It's gonna take time for Pastacoglu to weed through the squad, to go out, identify the right players, bring them in over the next I mean, what have we talked about it with Manchester United? Four transfer windows, something like that? Like, it's going to take transfer window after transfer window after yeah. transfer window. So, Graham, my question to you is, do you think Tottenham will be patient? Like, are they willing with this appointment to say, all right, we didn't go get Nagelsmann. We didn't go get someone that we think maybe could fix it right now, even though I don't think that's true. Like, we went for someone who's slightly more under the radar, although he's still a big name, and we're going to wait. Like, is that going to happen? Or is everybody going to get really hissy about it? They're going to finish sixth, and everybody's going to complain, and he's going to get fired, and it's all going to be a waste of time. 
I mean, the truth is there is, as I don't know, you know, because I obviously don't know Daniel Levy. Um, his track record of the last few years suggests maybe Postecoglou won't get that that patience. But the fact that they've gone for Ange Postecoglou, who is as as great an appointment as I think that is, you couldn't ever really argue that it's a an easy crowd pleasing appointment, right? It's not. He's not a a big name who's won. Um, big European trophies. He's not Luis yeah. Enrique. He's not. He's not. Nagelsmann even would have been a bigger name in terms of, of hiring. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the and the easy appointment here for Sp- for Spurs is Pochettino, right? They just go straight out the gate when they sack Conte and they go and get Pochettino, who I still think would have taken the Spurs job over 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 Chelsea. We'll, we'll never truly know, but that's my hunch. So the fact that they have looked to someone like Postecoglou says that there has been a little bit of a shift in ethos and, and, and approach and maybe that he, maybe he will get that time and he will need that time you're right Joe I think Celtic it's it's easier to build a winning team in Scotland because obviously you're only really competing against Rangers but even using that measure I think everyone was shocked at how quickly things came together for him at Celtic and I I I don't know if he's going to be able to replicate that. Where he brought in sixteen new players, and I think something like twelve of them, you would say, were a bit were a big success. Spurs probably aren't going to have that hit rate. And also in his first season at Celtic, there was a feature in. I remember talking about this on the on on, on the show. There was a feature in Celtic's games in Celtic's performances where after the sixty minute mark, they would they would fall off a cliff in terms of their intensity and energy. And that said to me that the, there was a process in in terms of fitness and and. And being able to implement that pressing style that Celtic needed some time, even as they were winning games and winning titles, they needed some time to get up to full speed. So I expect a similar sort of thing with Spurs. I have, I have questions over even Harry Kane, right? I, I think if Kane stays at Spurs, Postecoglou is going to have to integrate him into his team. But if you look at someone like Kyogo Furuhashi, who is Celtic's number nine, he is an absolute pressing machine. It's one of his main features in that team is to close down the goalkeeper. He anticipates back passes. He forces opposition defences into clearing the ball out of play. And I just don't really envisage Kane doing that. So even if Kane stays, there's maybe going to have to be a compromise there for Postecoglou. And he has changed his style over the course of his managerial career. He's used, you know, 4-3-3. He's used back threes in the past. So he does have that adaptability to find new solutions. But yeah, this is going to be the start of a process for Spurs. Graham, are we going to get any signings from Celtic to Spurs if there were one player who was going to make that jump? Uh, CCV has already been at Tottenham, lest we forget. Yeah, uh, CCV in a back three would be interesting. We haven't really seen him in a back three for Celtic. Um, I know Spurs. I don't really think it will be CCV. No, uh, it won't be CCV. I had to get that one in there. But yeah, are there any other people that you think he might bring or or is it going to be more of a a renewal for him? So the the three um, Celtic players that I think are good enough for that level are Kyogo, who I think is sensational I think he he plays in the Premier League easily whether he starts ahead of Harry Kane though is another matter so maybe that's maybe that's a that succession would be controversial plan for, yeah, yeah, it would, yeah it would so maybe not also something might not there. be an issue uh, given how the next few weeks go as well exactly exactly there, there could be something there um Hitati Ryo Hitati central midfielder Japanese central midfielder is also very good very young as well so time for him to improve and then Felipe Jota who is a, a a Portuguese winger. So those are the three players I think Celtic have that are good enough for kind of Spurs level. Whether he raids Celtic for his former players, I'm I'm not so sure. All right, Mark, thank you very much for that question. We go to Balogun's dog. Joe Balogun's dog. Remind me, says Balogun's dog, why am I supposed to care about the Nations League? This is the competition that replaced friendlies, right? My thinking is FIFA can market it however they like, but they're still just Friendlies, except the US is taking a stronger squad to the Nations League than to the Gold Cup, which for better or worse is still our regional championship. What gives, says Balogun's dog Taylor. Next Thursday, we have the CONCACAF Nations League Mm -hmm. games. We have Panama taking on Canada and the US taking on Mexico, of course, in glorious Las Vegas. I suppose, yeah, Taylor, why should we care about this contest? It's a fair question. There's a couple explanations for me, starting with I do not care about friendlies. I think international managers definitely don't care about friendlies, and yet fan bases, at least U.S. fan bases, often do. And I think put a lot of weight behind them when they're meant to be exactly what they're called, friendlies. They're meant to be experimental opportunities that don't really matter. But as a result, they're never really that engaging to me. I'm never really that excited for the international window when it's two friendlies and then we're back to the league uh, structure. Uh, But with the Nations League, sure, you could say it's a glorified version of friendlies. I would say it's still a competitive series of games where you're playing towards winning some silverware at the end. And I think if you take any athlete and say, yeah, we're going to play some like some pickup or we're going to have a little scrimmage. 
they're going to try, but they're not going to try that hard. If you say we're playing in a tournament, even if it's only three or four games, I think they're going to be up for it. There's going to be that level of competition. And with that comes an actual opportunity to experiment, try new tactics, learn new things, learn what your players are capable of. So I think in that way, it automatically raises the entertainment value, for me at least. Um, second to that, the Nations League, as, as I understand it, uh, and CONCACAF specifically, started to basically give smaller countries in the confederation more opportunities to play meaningful competitive games with the idea that rising tide lifts all boats everybody gets more uh, opportunities to play everybody gets a little bit more money uh, and hopefully the quality of the confederation increases as well and finally for me it's basically that the nation's league is a smaller gold cup that you're playing the the group stage games you've got a home and away versus two opponents then you've got the semifinal, then the final um and you're mostly interested, short of like maybe some hiccups along the way, who you play in the semifinal and then making it to the final and playing there, which is not dissimilar from the Gold Cup. It's, it's pretty much always U.S. on one side of the bracket, Mexico on the other. Maybe there's uh, an upset along the way. But short of that, we're going to be waiting until the semis to really get into it. And so I feel like the Nations League sort of distills that down to a smaller uh Semi more bite sized because it is spread out, obviously. But I think having these two games that are against the strongest opposition in the Confederation is pretty exciting. Yeah, and, yeah, and I would. I, oh, sorry, sorry, Ryan. I was just going to say to to Balligan's dog, which is an incredible username <laughs> here. Uh, if if you think these are glorified friendlies, I would just encourage you to go back and watch the U.S. Mexico Nations League final from 2021 True. because that was maybe one of the best games of soccer I've ever seen in my life, and it was very apparent that not a single player on that field or near that field or person in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas thought it was a glorified friendly. You have people throwing stuff. Yeah. You've got Christian Pulisic doing crazy stuff. You've got uh, shoot Ethan Horvath coming off the bench and saving yeah. penalty like. That was one of the wildest games that I've ever seen. One of the best soccer games that I've ever witnessed, certainly from a, from the USMNT standpoint. Like these are games that people care about. Like these are games that the players and the federations care about, which means they won't feel like friendlies. Also, they're not policed as friendlies. Like they're they're real soccer games in a tournament kind of style. So I really struggle with thinking of them as glorified friendlies, even if they, they replace them. I think they replace them with something new that has the feeling of something new. So that's that's my major point here. Is like these are likely to be kind of wild or at least entertaining games. That's not guaranteed. And they probably won't be as good as last time around, but I, I wouldn't compare them to friendlies by a long shot. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and Graham, I think we've had this conversation before about the Nations League format in general. I think I was certainly quite cynical when it came out in UEFA. Um, but then sort of it generally came to mean that, so say for an England fan, it meant you got quite good opposition in these friendly windows, what were previously friendly windows. Instead of games against Andorra or San Marino, you get this quite high-level opposition in this group stage of the Nations League as well as the uh, the later stages as well. And I prefer that to say, like, even like a money spinner-friendly against Brazil, for example, because it's, it, there is a bit yeah. of a competitive edge to it. But I suppose a criticism, Graham, is that when you were in Nations League and they are take, occupying those national uh, international windows... Uh, your teams aren't playing teams from outside your federation anymore. So you will tend to start playing the same teams a little bit more, if that's fair to say. And I think that has been a complaint, certainly, of the South American teams after the creation of the, the UEFA Nations League, is now that competition denies them the chance to test themselves against the European teams specifically. Um, and... I did see some people, I mean, obviously Argentina won the whole the whole damn thing in, in Qatar, but Brazil afterwards, there were some people saying that their their friendly schedule maybe hadn't prepared prepared them for the, the tournament in the way that they would like would have liked. Taylor and Joe have obviously spoken to why US fans should talk it should care about the, the Nations League. I am gonna look at it kind of as a whole and I have to compare it to the UEFA Nations League because I think I can provide some context hopefully so I'm, I'm obviously a Scotland fan as I think I've mentioned in the past and uh, Nations League fixtures are some of the biggest fixtures that we play and that's not because of the competitive merit of the Nations League it's because it's usually our best way to qualify for the Euros so they're qualifiers for us qualifiers against teams of equal quality um, and if, if you're a country that qualifies with ease through the normal process, that, that maybe doesn't really matter as much to you. You don't need that that secondary qualification route. So that's maybe why there's some apathy for the Nations League from, from England. 
um, whereas Scotland and Wales and the smaller countries treat them as big games. And in the CONCACAF Nations League, I think the US in this context are England, right? They, they don't. I mean, I know the US oh, missed out in 2018. Oh, but, 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 but also, but like, but the US is, I know that they're in like the top tier of their Nations League competition. I'm right. assuming England is as well, right? They didn't get relegated out of theirs, yeah, that's did right. they? Yeah, don't, don't check it. Don't check it, but that's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're talking Hi, about, Ryan. you know, old England, tier one England, you know, oh, new tier England, one tier England. two okay, England. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we said yeah. tier they're, one they're, so I much. I was just thinking that, Ryan. It's gotten so much run. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about a different England. But speaking broadly, the US or England, you know, they don't generally need another route to qualify for the the Gold Cup, which is, as I'm led to believe, what the Nations League also serves as qualification for the Gold Cup. Um, So for the smaller nations, it's similar to Scotland, right? And that's what gives these matches for for them. You know, it's not all about the US and Mexico and Canada. That's what gives these fixtures kind of competitive merit. Wonderful stuff. All right. And One, I, I'd sorry, say, Ryan. Sorry, go, go ahead, I'm just going to keep keep uh, derailing things, only to add that I don't think this has been said, so it is worth noting. And because it's an official competition, you can cap tie players, which is another important thing. If you're the United States and you're constantly going after dual nationals, uh, then you can uh, get them committed to your na- uh, national team by playing in the Nations League, whereas obviously friendlies did not. How appropriate for Balogun's dog. Yeah. Very nice indeed. And Balogun's dog, you know, are you supposed to care about a Nations League? You can make your own mind up. We're yep. not here to tell you what you should care about or not. Uh, there's plenty of soccer out there, so you're welcome to do so. Taylor. Do clubs help you? If you have a dog and you are a player, Like, do, do clubs help you find a dog sitter for when you have to go abroad? I'm now well, fascinated Emma, by this idea. If Balogun truly does have a dog and he's going to the Nations League, yeah, Taylor, is there somebody who's helping him take dog sitter? For sure. You Arsenal think so? Care of it. Yeah, do they absolutely. have a kennel? Are there Arsenal kennels? I need to know this. So you do just know bought... this, isn't, this isn't actually his dog right in the question. You know that, right? <laughs> I don't know that. You can't convince <laughs> me of that. Neither do I. I don't know that either, <laughs> yeah, to be fair. Yeah. I choose to live in a dream fantasy world. Thank you, Ryan. Graham, <laughs> you were saying that MLS has now bought a gigantic kennel, I'm assuming? Uh, well, a condo, I think, for Messi's dog. That's one of the levers. Chuck Blazer style having an apartment for just his cats there we go exactly (laughs) maybe in the uh hard rock uh casino in hollywood florida which might even be midway between miami and fort lauderdale if my math is correct maybe uh giant dog has a suite there it's just an advertorial it it does feel that way it could be. Hit us up. Hit us up, Hard Rock. It could be indeed. Uh let's take a quick break. When we come back we've got plenty more including Why Nottingham Forest used to be good, why Greek Super League used to be good, and other stuff. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Seymour Bale has been in touch and asks, how did Nottingham Forest win back-to-back Champions Leagues? As an 18-year-old Canadian who's interested in soccer and is, uh, whose interest in soccer is quite recent, excuse me, I find this very confusing considering their current state. So Nottingham Forest, of course, have the two stars on their crest. They won the European Cup, uh, now known as the Champions League, in 1979 and 1980. They won the league, the English League, in the year before, in 1978. Graham, they were a powerhouse under the management of Graham Clough and Peter Taylor in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, It's the short answer here. Team was good, now not good anymore. Yeah, or the fact that Nottingham Forest didn't sign 30 different players every summer and that actually allowed them to build a, a functional team. And they, and, and they won the, the European Cup twice, as you say, Ryan. No, the answer is Brian Clough. He, he was one of the greatest managers of, of his generation. Um, if you look at his, his, his story and where he started at Forest and where he took them, it's quite remarkable. So they were in the second division when he took over. They won promotion in his first season and then they won the first division title, which is the equivalent of the Premier League, in his second season um, and the, 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 the League Cup as well. So Clough is, is credited with being one of English football's greatest ever, ever managers. Um, I also believe he was credited with being one of English football's first true tacticians. So... Until him, it had sort of been about sticking a team out in the four four two shape and, and that was it for the match. But Clough would actually make changes to shapes and things like that during the matches, which obviously we take for granted now, like that every manager in football does that. But that wasn't very common then, at least not in, in English football um, at that time. And the greater context, I guess, is that in the, in the 80s, there was more mobility at the top of the sport. So there wasn't the same amount of money in football. You could build a team and rise pretty quickly if you had a good manager and a good group of players, which is what Forrest had. And also the European Cup was winners of leagues only and straight knockouts. So you had more variance there as well. And if you look at the finalists around that time that, that Forrest won the, the European Cup twice... You'll see all sorts of names. You'll see, you know, Liverpool, maybe not so surprising them, Forest, St Etienne, Leeds, Stau Bucharest, Hamburg, Club Bruges, Malmo. So it wasn't this sort of cabal of clubs that just compete against each other season after season like we have now in the in the Champions League. Um so yeah, that's that's pretty much the reason that it was a little bit easier to to rise and and, and also to fall, which is what Nottingham Forest did ultimately um, when Clough left. And he is a, a true kind of English football legend. Yeah, I suppose maybe maybe take the for for an eighteen year old soccer fan, it might be hard to imagine a time when there weren't a cabal of very powerful clubs who won everything and who were consistently at the top of the game in Europe. So there are opportunities for a team like Nottingham Forest to uh, to make a run. By- Bayern Munich's been around. Bayern Munich be- have been doing Bayern Munich things since uh, a good long while. But yes, I, I think Graham-, Graham nailed it there, especially with the the lack of money the way we have it today. So there was more mobility in the standings. Uh, I also think, uh, Graham, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but saying that he's one of England's greatest ever managers makes me smile because he has the famous quote. Uh, I would, is it, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm one of the great, like I'm not the greatest manager, but I am in the top one. Is oh that yeah. The quote sure. is something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Clough has some great quotes, a lot of them about how great he is. Uh, but I, th- I think he is definitely the answer. I think also looking at some of his tactics feels like he was more European centric uh, at a time when clubs were maybe more hoof it long, route one, fast and physical, that sort of thing. Wanted his teams to have the ball, was okay with playing on the counter, had a v- team, teams very disciplined, very well organized, as cliche as that may sound, uh, to the point where I think he had financial penalties for players disrespecting the referee because he wanted them so focused on the play itself and not getting distracted by anything else. And so I think him having complete control of that team and 
Still having the respect. Obviously, it goes poorly at Leeds, but prior to that, uh, much success with Derby. So I think still has that like the the reputation coming in, and then has a point to prove a chip on the shoulder from what happened with Leeds. That I think he is so focused on molding this team into being greater than the sum of its parts. He does just that, and they win back to back Champions Leagues, which is no small feat for sure. Yeah. I think he was also ahead of his time in terms of the sort of cult of personality around him. Yeah. He was Mourinho before Mourinho yeah. was yeah. Mourinho, right? Yeah. And and that was that was I mean there may have been some examples that I haven't heard of, but to my mind he was one of the first in English football or the first English football to be like that. So players would want to play for him because of the personality that he was. And obviously that's become commonplace in football now with Mourinho and Klopp and Guardiola, but Clough was he he started a trend there. He did indeed. Uh, yeah, and for more information, as Taylor mentioned about his time at Leeds, The Damn United is a movie you can check out, the Michael Sheen and book as well. Um, and his son, Nigel Clough, by the way, is a manager now. Uh, when I was last back in London and I saw a Wimbledon game, he was managing Mansfield Town. He still is. Um, and he, he is quite uh, an active one on the sidelines. To Graham's point about Mourinho, tell me these two quotes couldn't be said by Jose Mourinho. They are, in fact, Brian Clough quotes. Uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, but I wasn't on that particular job. That feels like Jose Mourinho could say that about his time in Rome. And then, if I had an argument with a player, we would sit down for 20 minutes, talk about it, and then decide that I was right. That also sounds very Jose Mourinho. So I think there was that, yeah, cult of personality for sure with Brian Clough. Wonderful stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, what a legend, RIP Brian Clough. Thank you, Seymour, for that question indeed. We go to Ben Sundstrom, by the way. Graham, nice fact for you, in their run to their first European Cup uh, title. Nottingham Forest beat AK Athens seven goals to two in the first mm, round. I'm sure you knew, segue. You, you knew that already. I'm sure you, you watched the highlights earlier. But uh, the segue being about this question from Ben Sundstrom. Not long ago, the Greek Super League was competitive in Europe and compared in quality to the Belgian, Portuguese and Turkish leagues. Olympiakos, AEK, Pauk and Panathinaikos were decent clubs that played in the Champions League. But now, not so much. So what's happened to soccer in Greece is Ben's question, Graham. Now, looking at the UEFA coefficients, Greece are now ranked 15th in Europe, uh, below Switzerland, below Serbia, Austria, even Scotland. Um, I, I look back to around 2005-06. Uh, in that season, for example, they were 7th. That was when you'd see like Greek opposition against Man United on Big days in the Champions League. Yeah, and, I seem to remember yeah. Man United playing Greek teams a lot around that it, time. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why that was, but Panathinaikos. I, I seem to remember about six Man United Panathinaikos games yeah. around then. Exactly. Yeah, that's what made me think of Man United because, as you, as you say, they always seem to be in Greece in that contest. But uh, what's happened? Yeah, so I found a Olivier Capo interview. Um, he used to play in the Premier League. I think he used to play for Birmingham, maybe Wigan as well. Um, and he played in Greece. And he, and he gave this interview where he spoke about the the corruption in the sport in, in, in Greece. He actually called it, quote, a total mafia. Um, so that might be one factor. The money that comes in doesn't kind of go back into the sport. It goes into the pockets of people it shouldn't go into. Match fixing as well, I think, has been a problem. Capo said that in, in his interview that he'd been asked to fix a match, obviously refused to. There was also a report in 2015 which uh, accused people in Greek football, the people that run Greek football, the clubs in the league, of, quote, initiating, participating in, and directing a criminal organization, fraud, attempted criminal extortion, and corruption. So that's not great. Those are not good things to accuse uh, <laughs> people running football of. And six years uh, later, there was actually a, a court case that involved 28 key figures that ran Greek football. Um, one of those people was the Nottingham Forest president, uh, Evangelos Marankis, I think his name is. There was referees in there. There was several members of the Greek FA in, involved in that court case. Um, eventually, they were actually acquitted, so we should mention that. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, there have been cases of violence across the years in Greek football, including when the Pauk president, Ivan Savidis, he walked onto the pitch yeah. during a game with a gun, um, which oh, yeah. again... Is not ideal, not really what you want to see. So the point I'm making here is to outside investors, Greek football isn't very attractive, I think, because of this culture. There is a, an, an inward reflection from people in Greek football that they need to clean this up, that this is a problem. And then you factor in a lack of investment 
in the sport in a country which um you know the economy just completely collapsed um and you know in the mid 2000s so i think that has been a factor as well so it's, it's not been a great time for greek football yeah i have on my list corruption fan behavior and financial issues which graham basically just hit all of there <laughs> like economic crisis that happened in greece impacted soccer just like it impacted other industries and, and other people in greece and even even beyond AEK Athens was relegated to the third division in 2013 after they went bankrupt. So that was sort of a, a, a cause there. Attendance figures have gone down. Money from TV deals goes down in, in financial crises and revenues are low. So they're not able to spend the same amount of money on players and other soccer things that you need to run a club like stadium upkeep and things like that. Fan behavior, Graham, you mentioned a lot of it. The one the one story that I read that really stuck with me was... Um, like people trying to blow up a referee in 2012. So I don't know if you all read any of this story or not, but basically a bomb exploded in a bakery oven back in, in 2012. And it was a referee that owned that bakery. It was a family business, his family business. And he was scheduled to ref the final, a, a game at least, between Olympiacos and another club a few days later. And basically a couple of people had come to see him, telling him that Olympiacos had to win that game. And they threatened him. And he apparently said he couldn't be bought. And soon after, a bomb goes off in his oven. So, like, wow. that's that's the kind of stuff that that had been happening. And some of those things, maybe not to that extreme, but do pop up periodically. And so, yeah, the, the cultural aspect of it is incredibly difficult. And some of these things you can tie back to the economic challenges that have existed in Greece for a while, and and you know were were heightened certainly a, a few years ago. Like those things and, and behavior and all these things are heavily impacted by the well-being of these individuals and. If your outlet for your life falling apart is soccer and you're going to take it out in this way, that's going to have wider ramifications for the sport in general and, f- and for the sport certainly across the country. Yeah, I think probably, Taylor, the headline is the economic factor, as Joe mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Uh, last decade, things have obviously been quite challenging in Greece post-Olympics and the, the, the financial collapse they've had there. Also, like infrastructure-wise, Greece is like lots of tiny islands. So like to organize soccer across that also is challenging. It's not like the, the, the easiest terrain to, to, to have soccer played on if that makes sense i didn't think about that yeah that would be that would be pretty tricky which is maybe why there was the move from the uh deputy sports minister to reduce the size of the league maybe he wants to make it uh easier but that is also a big part of it is the intervention of the government as well uh i think the league's been shut down multiple times that is theoretically against fifa bylaws so uh, I don't know if anything will come of that uh, since that happened years ago, uh, but I think that's kind of representative of a lot of what's already been talked about, uh, financial instability, fan unrest, and then just violence, I think is a big part of it, and and uh, players, big name players, Rivaldo used to be there, I, I struggle to think of a, a sort of maybe slightly past their prime Brazilian, uh, I was going to say that, and then I was thinking, well, I guess James was just there, but his contract was canceled, uh, he's obviously not Brazilian, uh, but... I think you're just, it's harder to get those types of players at this point for Greek clubs because of everything that's happened in the last five or six years. I think things are improving slowly, but I think that's also been because there's been a focus on more domestic players. Uh, Even if the money still isn't there, I don't think that there's a league-wide TV deal. I think it's individual clubs, and so a few clubs in the top flight don't have TV deals or didn't at the start of the league this season. So I think situation improving, but... Definitely not back to where they were years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, there was there was a boost for one Greek club in 2008. I don't know if you remember um, the movie Step Brothers and Rob, Rob Riggle's um, character when he was talking about the Catalina wine mixer often was quoting, Pauk! 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 <laughs> I wasn't I just, sure where we were going with this yeah, one. Yeah, neither yes. was I. <laughs> yes. I, just like, I just like to say Pauk. Yes. It's Who? quite good to exclaim. Yeah, but don't exclaim it too loudly or their chairman will pull a gun on you, uh, which, <laughs> which, as Graham mentioned, was a thing. <laughs> and, like, not, it really was, I remember watching that video, like, the Zapruder film of him running onto the pitch and being like, oh, no, yeah, there's just a gun tucked into his belt. That's not what you want to see. That's not, that's not a good look at all. Yeah, not great. Uh, anyway, Ben, hope that answers your question. One final one to get to today from Kyle K. The TSS crew has stumbled upon a prank Time machine. That's a prank time machine joke. Makes me Sounds nervous. Fun. Mm. Is that really a... the best use of that technology? 100% yes, it is. Hang oh. on, you haven't heard what its use go. is going to be yet? We've stumbled Fair. upon a prank Fair. time machine, Graham. It's, it might be hot tub. It might be some other kind of vessel. We don't know. Um, <laughs> this prank time machine allows you to go back in time and mess with someone for a few minutes for laughs. Okay, okay so it is, yeah, it is what it technology. sounds like. Yeah, yeah. that's confirmed. 
<laughs> so we can go back and mess with someone for laughs, but it has no actual effect on the real timeline of life. Interesting. Joe, Graham and Taylor decide to be trolls and send Giorgio Chiellini back to horse collar Ryan at three different points in his life, Bukayo Saka style. What moments would each of you choose? What does Ryan do with his one trip in revenge for this instant? Um, firstly, I, I, I'll go first here. I'll ask, why am I being horse collared? What did I do to deserve this prank? But um, you, know what, you, you know what you did. Okay, that's fair. I do. Um, I'll say revenge isn't my star. I'm a lover, not a fighter. So what I would do for all of you guys, I'll put you in my prank time machine. And you, you're doing the revenge first. I just want <laughs> yeah. to be clear. Okay. All right. Cool. 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 That's cool, not really cool. how revenge works. Yeah. Not quite. But all right. Fine. Revenge. Revenge. <laughs> all right. All right. Fine. 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 Graham, what would you do? So I, I think we now understand why Ryan fell in that video of him and the dad's race at his daughter's <laughs> sports day. Um, th- that was one of those occasions, wasn't it? It was Kaylee horse collaring. <laughs> Graham, what happened? Okay, t- tug us through it very slowly. <laughs> Ryan, run. Ryan, fall. Oh. Everyone laugh. <laughs> Overtaken by happened. child in lion suit. so yeah now we have an explanation for what happened there it was this prank time machine it was Giorgio Chiellini that's what happened true but yeah yeah, I would I would definitely get Chiellini to horse collar Ryan at the line in 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 Starbucks because funny also walking out onto stage at the TSS World Cup live show I might actually book Chiellini for our next live show hello Giorgio see what you did to Saka yeah fancy doing it again to another Englishman yeah I'm sure he'll be up for that uh, up for that booking um, I feel like two horse collarings is enough, Ryan. I don't want to wear out the slap st- slapstick <laughs> effect. Um, I guess you already had that one at the sports day, so that's that's my three. All right, thank you. And yeah, I've only got so much wear out of these collars that I'm wearing right now, so I appreciate you not putting too much on them. Joe, what would you do with the prank time machine? So I completely misread this question until Ryan too, just let it out too. loud. I did too. <laughs> so I have, I'm pranking each one of you, and I also come, oh. came up with two ways to prank Ryan as Graham was talking. So one is very similar to Graham. You said something about Starbucks, Graham. I'd like Keeling to horse collar Ryan the first time he steps into a Chili's. Maybe that would be like this moment where he realizes my life doesn't have to be this way, even though Kyle tells us that it's going to have no impact whatsoever on his actual life and day-to-day actions. So I don't think it's going to work, but I do think it's worth a shot. The other one is the wedding day. Just try to pick the biggest moment possible. There's like a very clear <laughs> I aisle. I thought that as well, but I'm like but very no, visible. Too harsh. You guys are ruthless. I don't know what your wedding was, but I mean, come on, it would be funny, right? Ryan's a funny guy. Everybody loves Ryan. I, I don't think I've ever met someone who doesn't like you, Ryan, and we all like you despite you know, uh-huh. poking fun of you. Like, come on, I think that would be funny, and, and it would have made that day even even more memorable for those in attendance, even if they would forget. So, I'm confused oh, at this whole prank machine. I don't understand how this works at all. Go ahead, Ryan. We, we've we, we've all done a wedding, Joe. Where am I being horse collar? While I'm at, at the altar, while my wife coming down no, the no, aisle no. How, like how? did did you not like walk up the aisle sort of before she came down the aisle like maybe like before everyone else i don't know if you have groomsmen or anything like that were you not first down no where how did well, you, you enter had, you, where you did you come have, from you i must mean, have I, had to walk at some I'm, point but it wasn't part of the ceremony right look, i'm just gonna take it there i feel like maybe it's the wedding night that's when kaylee just coming <laughs> in for the horse collar <laughs> <laughs> i don't know the inner mechanics of, of what that day looked like for you ryan but i'm open to any and all ideas um can i sure uh, 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 go ahead ryan go ahead I was just going to say, I got married on a beach, so I didn't actually walk down an aisle. I just walked over. Great. Well, you're in a public space, so that's going to be even better for me. Um, Yeah. Okay. So my my ways to prank all of you, uh, again, not realizing that this wouldn't have an effect on the timeline, that like really doesn't make sense to my brain and really messes with my predictions. But I want to go back to the TSS live show, like Graham said, and replace all of Ryan's guitar strings with yarn just before he goes out on stage, (laughs) just to kind of see what happens. I don't know. Could be fun. Um, I want to replace all of Taylor's liquid death with Red Bull. And see how fast oh he talks at the end of every nope. show. I think that would be some good podcast content right there. And I want to go or back see how and quickly my heart explodes. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll keep it. Quicker? We'll keep it in a medical, <laughs> allowed sort of level. And I, the last one for Graham. I want to go back in time to make sure that that other. I don't remember who it was, but that other famous Sterling Albion fan is not oh, yeah. a Sterling Albion fan, so that Graham can be the most famous one because that yes. will make him uncomfortable. Wow, that's right. That will make me uncomfortable. Yep. Actually, um, yep. I was I was joyful, and now I'm uncomfortable. Yep. Thanks, Ryan Joe. looks Ryan looks so sad. <laughs> po- po- point of order: Is liquid death better than Red Bull? It's just it water. Sound liquid water. death is just water. It's just sparkling just, water. That's, that's oh, all it? it is. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Yep. I see. I should have clarified. Yes. My bad. 
Thank just, you. Just nerdily named. Uh, I also misread this question, but I thought it was we each get one prank on Ryan. So Graham gets one, Joe gets one. Uh, and I took mine in a different direction. So I've, uh, you all have done your going into the past pranking. I'm just flipping the dial on the uh, time travel nice, device, nice. and now I'm going into the future. Because at this point, Ryan thinks he's safe, he's secure, there's no more horse collaring to be done. He's back in the United States. He's moved uh, back to North Carolina. It's his first meal at Chili's after moving back to the United States. He orders. He rubs his hands together with glee. The waiter approaches. Platter of food held aloft. There they are. The pop and fried honey jalapeno fried chicken chicken poppers all in their resplendent glory. And then Chiellini appears to horse collar the waiter. You didn't see that one coming. Food goes everywhere. Ryan looks at his entree lying broken on the floor lifts his head to see a Chiellini just staring at him, gives him a Matumbo, and then walks away as Ryan is just left there to mourn his meal and scene. Still eating it. <laughs> Attaboy. Attaboy. Five-second five rule. Attaboy. <laughs> well, if anything, this uh, exercise is showing what a one-dimensional character I am. Uh, with, <laughs> I mean, with to be fair, you started this by gleefully talking about the Hard Rock Cafe, so I'm going to say that's on you. And also, I believe, talking about Starbucks, also on you. I thought, I thought Ryan, you were going to say that it shows how bad Taylor and I are at reading comprehension, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. more of a fan of what you yeah. said instead. I like, I like how we just did what we wanted with this time machine. I feel like <laughs> it needs regulated in some way. That's a prank in itself, I suppose. I, my, my, my prank would be to go back um, to 10 minutes ago and have... Taylor and Joe probably read the question. Mm. That'll be my first <laughs> nice. point of order with the time machine. Um, <laughs> What's your revenge? The idea of revenge, yeah, as I say, I, I'm not a revenge guy. I don't think I'm that way wired. So what I would do, I would put you, all three of you, in a time machine with me, and we go back to April 2010, and the best vacation I ever had, which was in Honolulu, Hawaii. Wonderful place. Stayed at the Hilton on the beach where Elvis used to do his thing. Sounds amazing, right, Joe? Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds good, and I'm down. Yeah, there you go. Boys trip? Boys trip. But also, that trip was when I first had Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> there it is. Chili's, California Pizza Kitchen, and Outback. That trip's my origin story. So I'll have you all be there, and then you'd all be hooked on those one-dimensional things I love as well. End scene. Taylor, thank you. You went to, you went to Hawaii, and that, that was your diet in Hawaii. What would you eat? Like, like not poke? everything from a strip like, mall. That's that's my yeah, answer like, to that question. Isn't Hawaii like you know really God. good poke and like seafood and stuff like that? I don't know. God. I don't know. What would I know? Um, I, Ryan, I were you called a howly a bunch while you were there, just out of curiosity? Just, just wondering, I, just wondering. In my defense, like the cheesecake factory there is the best one in the world. It's got like it's on the sea front, on the beachfront. It's got like the tiki torches everywhere. It's it's glorious, and uh, it was my first experience of uh, American. Uh, middle class fancy casual dining and I've um, been hooked ever since so there you go and you'd be there you'd be there Taylor you'd be there in my prank time I, machine okay I have some questions like <laughs> so this is the first time you had Cheesecake Factory yes in Hawaii we're gonna just steamroll right <laughs> past that because it's too much but like was it your idea to go were you like this Cheesecake Factory that do they make is it a factory of cheesecakes was it your wife who went did the concierge recommend it what was the situation it was my ex-girlfriend, who is now my wife, uh, oh. it, it was her who brought me to the Cheesecake Factory for the first time because so she'd she's been previously. The she's mm. the villain of the origin. She'd been previously. Who with, Ryan? Who with? She was... Giorgio Chiellini. <laughs> oh yeah. It was! It was! The time she don't lie. Oh, my gosh. On that bombshell. On that Do bombshell. We think Giorgio Chiellini's never eaten in a Cheesecake Factory, has he? No I shot. I can imagine him throwing some bread rolls at someone in the <laughs> no. Cheesecake Factory. No way. <laughs> The, oh Ryan! Oh Ryan! You went to Hawaii and you ate. The, not to de, <laughs> not to derail this. Food. Ryan has a thousand percent told at least the four of us, like the three of us, this before. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. it was on the show or not, but I I know this story. Like I remember this. This is in my brain somewhere. It just brought it back, Ryan. I don't know when you you spilled yeah. the beans, but it's it's in here. I've got it. I've heard wow. it before. It. it I think it's one of those things that it's so difficult for me to comprehend that it's just easier to forget it. And then when it comes back, <laughs> it doesn't get any easier to comprehend. Ah, that's right. It's why you all love me and I'll never change. On that note, Cry OK, thank you very much for that question. Listener, let us know what you do with a prank time machine. And if you're on a Discord uh, on our Patreon, you know, have at it. Have some fun. In the meantime, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contributions to this here podcast. Thank you, my friend. Graham Rutherford, uh, pleasure as always. You look splendid in your Inter-Miami jersey today. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Go Miami.
Indeed. And Joe Lowry, shoulders back, chin high. Go smash the rest of the day. Thank you, Joseph. Oh, wow. Right back at you, Ryan. That was motivating. I like it. I know. New me. New me. <laughs> and listener, thank you very much indeed. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.